Welcome to the Parenting with Impact podcast with your hosts, Elaine Taylor-Klaus and Diane Dempster, co-creators of ImpactParents.com, an online community, award-winning blog, and service organization, helping parents all over the world to raise complex kids become capable, independent adults. Hi, everyone. Elaine and Diane here. And we know that you want your complex kids to grow up to be happy and independent. And yet you're not always sure how or when to help with that. In this podcast, we'll encourage you to collaborate with all kinds of complex kids and support them in navigating life and learning. And we'll interview leading experts from around the world, as well as parents in our own community, talking about how training for parents actually helps these complex kids. We'll talk about the issues we hear parents struggling with all the time and how a coach approach can support and empower your amazing young people. We won't tell you what to do. We're going to help you figure out how. So let's move on to the next conversation. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another conversation in the Parenting with Impact podcast. Diana Lane here today talking about a topic that's come up a bunch in the last couple of months that we're kind of thinking through. So we're going to think out loud with you guys a little bit. Is that cool? (laughs) I think that's that's either really dangerous or that's really exciting. I can't decide which it is. Okay. I think it's exciting. So we've been talking about, we had this insight a couple of months ago where we realized that, that the role of the parent, the reason we're such a big emphasis on parent training and parent involvement and parent coaching is because we realized the role of the parent is to create an accommodated environment at home for their kids. Very similar to what we ask teachers in the school to do for kids at school is to create an accommodated environment to accommodate for their executive function challenges, social and emotional challenges, whatever. And so we thought it'd be really good to just talk about what does that mean? Because I remember when I started this, Diane, I didn't know what the word accommodations meant. Well, but let's go backwards because it's like I've had such an aha moment with a lot of parents have been talking to people about this idea for a while. And I'm like, well, Your kid has accommodations at school. They have a 504, they have an IEP, or you're in the midst of trying to find one. And we can talk about that in a minute. But but what if, you know, why would your kid not need to have accommodations at home? It's a sort of like. So, yes, let's go back. What are accommodations? What does that even mean? Well, (laughs) because when I had when I first came to it, I want to say I want to distinguish accommodation versus remediation, because that's another term I didn't know. Yeah, no, that's true. Well, so the way I think about accommodations, so with I put it in the context of the three to five challenge. Right. So we know that kids with ADHD specifically, and also kids with other executive function challenges are often three to five years behind their peers in terms of some areas of executive function development. And so if you have, your child has a lagging skill, you know, they need support around that area. So they either need help to develop the skill if they're ready, or they need scaffolding and accommodation to support them until the lagging skill is developed, or or maybe it's kind of both, right? So you're helping them develop the skill and you're accommodating them until the skill is developed. Okay, so that's actually really great because that's where remediation comes in, okay? Mm-hmm. So remediation, like I had a kid with dyslexia, I have a kid with dyslexia, I still have that kid and she still has dyslexia, right? And so the first place we really focused was was remediation and that meant helping her get the skills she needed to learn to navigate the challenge she was facing. Right. Right. So that's remediation. And for dyslexia, it was, it was helping her learn tricks and strategies to learn how to read, right. To visually process the information and comprehend it. 
in executive function realm, that may be, as you say, identifying lagging skills and helping them catch up on lagging skills, which, which they may not have learned when it was taught because they weren't ready. So they weren't ready to learn it. Yeah. Is teaching them skills that they need that they may have missed or may not have may need additionally to be able to function in the brain they've got. Fair? Well, the challenge it is. And the, one of the challenges is that parents if parents only see the remediation part of it and go, okay, wait, my kid has lagging skills. Okay, let's sit down let's tomorrow and I'll that. teach them to that and we're going <laughs> to fix that. And they'll and be that's fine. That's where accommodation comes in. Right. Right. Because sometimes they're not ready for us to remediate that lagging skill because developmentally they're not ready to, to handle it yet, to integrate it yet. I remember when, when my kid was being remediated for dyslexia, one of the, one of the people said to us, cause they were, she was in second and third grade is you may have to come back in high school when she's ready to learn some new skills, when the work is different and harder because she's not ready to learn that yet, but she's still going to need it at some point. Right. So there are times that we can help our kids learn skills and there are times that our kids aren't ready to learn the skills or it takes time to learn skills. I mean, if you think about it, they may have spent I'm going to go back and talk about what you said in a, a few minutes ago about catching them up. Right. So I'm thinking about third grade and, you know, how much is spent in third grade about making sure that you can capture assignments and you know what's you know, what are we working on? And some of those sorts of uh, school work management stuff happens in that third to fifth grade time frame, right? And so that's a lot of the educational process is about organizing your learning as well as learning the stuff like science and math and all that other sorts of stuff. Well, if your kid is not ready in third to fifth grade to learn those skills because they don't have the executive function to grasp onto those skills and to begin to use them, once they get to sixth, seventh, eighth grade, they may be ready to learn them. And so you can just sit down and say, okay, let's go back and, and help them learn how to, uh, how to create a planning system that works for them or an organizing system that works for them. Um, so and that's remediation. That's remediation. Right? That's catching them up. Yep. Okay. And in those instances, you can do remediation, but in many other instances, they're not ready. And so that's where accommodation steps in which, so how would you define accommodation, Elaine? So, so I love that, this distinction. So once you get to this realm, and I'll, I'm going to just keep using my kid as an example, because it's, okay. it's useful, right? Because dyslexia is a little more concrete than some of these other issues of executive function. So the kid still had ex- dyslexia in high school. And in order to level the playing field for her to be able to demonstrate what she knew and her capacity... She was given accommodations like extra time or on on standardized testing or being able to write her uh, answers in the workbook instead of having to translate it to one of those forms. That's an example of an accommodation, because no matter how much you caught her up on the skills, she was never going to not have the visual processing problem that made it difficult for her to move from the workbook to the tracker sheet without missing some of those bubbles. Well, or uh, an accommodation for someone with dysgraphia, like being able to record what they want to say instead of having to write them down. and, and Or using a computer instead of a, a, a having pencil. to write it in a blue book. Yeah. And so accommodations are designed not to give someone an, an quote, unfair advantage, but in fact, 
it's it's designed to level the playing field and allow them to demonstrate their knowing and learning in the time frame available, usually or extended time, um, commensurate with with their capacity compared to other neurotypical kids. So the point of it is to make it fair. Yeah. Right. Well, and so we're we're not what we're not going to talk about because we're going to point you to another podcast episode that we did on I think it's is it five hundred fours and IEPs. You we had a guest expert that you interviewed that we talked specifically about we'll school accommodations that. and that sort yeah. of stuff. So we can point you to that. But I want to take us back to the fact that you know it's like our kids need a we know and we get oh my kids struggling in school they need accommodations they need remediation but I don't think a lot of us go wow, my kid's having a really hard time doing their chores on Saturday or wow, my kid's having a really hard time doing their homework, right? They need accommodation, accommodation, right? (laughs) In fact, it's exactly the opposite. I remember my kids really distinctly, I don't even remember what grade it was, fifth, seventh, something like that. The school says, you're not supposed to help me with my homework. Stay out of my room. Don't do this. And I'm like, sweetie, you have an accommodation for help with your work at school, it makes perfect sense that you would have an accommodation that says you can have help with your homework at home. I'm not going to do your homework for you, but I might help you make sure it's organized. I might help you make sure that, you know, you know what it is each day and have a way to do it. Right. I used to scribe for my daughter. So Mm -hmm. she would come home from school and I would hold the pen and the paper and she would tell me what to write in terms of like if she wanted to plan out her schoolwork Um, or if she was trying to to ideate. I wanted to take the motor coordination challenge out of it. So she's still doing all the work. My job was just to write or type. And that's an accommodation so that she's able to work on what was most important for her to learn and not get distracted by the part of it that was so hard that it prevented her from actually focusing on the content. So part of this is about the parent realizing, recognizing, hey, your kid might need an accommodation to help remember to clean the kitchen or put their food away (laughs) after dinner or whatever it is that's so annoying to them. Right. Right. And then the other piece of it might be if, it, if it's around schoolwork and homework, it might be sitting down when you're working on your 504 or your IEP at school to say, OK, so how do we how does this translate to homework? That. Yeah. How do we map that to homework? Because part of schoolwork happens at home. What accommodations should I be doing? What how are we measuring how they're doing? All of that could be incorporated into the conversation about the, the accommodations that they have at school. All of this is saying to me, and this is something, this is like, it's a big light bulb this year that this has been, is that our job as parents is to create an accommodated environment so that we can train them, remediate them, help them learn to navigate their lives and manage their executive function. And if we set the bar so high that they feel like they can't meet it, they're going to stop trying right? They're not even going to want to put the effort in. But if we can, and I don't mean that we lower the bar, but if we can put those scaffolding pieces in place so that they can feel some success in the home environment, we can, just like we do at school, we can help them be successful and those successes breed successes. You look puzzled. Yeah, no, I'm like, I think it's because we're recording this on a Friday and, and I think you said it kind of fancy, but I think what you're saying, and I agree with it a million percent is you know, we create a bubble around our kid so that they can learn what they can focus on the stuff that they're ready to learn and not have to worry about all the stuff that they're not yet ready to learn Yeah. in terms of the skills. 
but you were talking about a parent's job to create an accommodated environment. And it may be we're advocating for an accommodated environment at school. And what we're saying is really evaluating and figuring out what is the accommodated environment that this child needs at home. And it can be structural stuff like we're talking about related to schoolwork or chores. Mm-hmm. It can also be social emotional stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it can be, I, I used an example in, in the webinar we did yesterday, our back to school webinar about not bringing up a difficult topic for my daughter right before she had an interview. Right. That's a way of accommodating. Yes, I want to deal with the dishes in the sink, but I don't need to deal with it at a time when all it's going to do is trigger her. I want to approach it at a time when it's going to be a good support. So the accommodation is waiting to have that conversation until later. So let's talk a little bit about what gets in the way of this, because I think once you get conceptually that it is absolutely appropriate for you to create accommodations at home and that your kid may not remember to put the food away after you are cooking in the kitchen or they may have a hard time cleaning the kitchen on their own or following the agreements that you have around getting off technology. I mean, all these sorts of things. These kids have a hard time doing the things that are expected of them, even though even when they agree to do the things that are expected to them. So what is it that makes it hard for us to accommodate at home? Mm, that's a great question. Um, all right. So I'm just, this is what's bubbling up. And, and I think the answer to that question is a million things. Yeah. Right? It's expectations, it's exhaustion and fatigue. It's the frustration of feeling like we're asking the same thing over and over again. It's taking aim on everything instead of taking aim on one thing at a time. That is a big one, right? We exhaust ourselves and them by not taking aim. And so if we can take aim on one thing and scaffold the rest for a while, that will relieve the stress on everybody. So there are all these things. And then there's this other layer of, we don't think we should. We feel like our responsibility is to make sure that they're able to become an adult. And so, you know, I tell this story a lot, but it was so illustrative. I was coaching a mom of a 12-year-old kid and she had a 24-year-old kid who had launched, was out in the world. And the 12-year-old also had ADHD, and and she was really stuck because she had never dealt with this kind of issues before. And we realized in coaching that she was freaking out about the potato chips on the floor when the kid was watching television. And when we got underneath it, we realized she was freaking out because she was sure that when the kid was 24, she wasn't going to be able to take care of her apartment. (laughs) And so she had jumped all the way forward. She catastrophized, you know, twice the kid's life forward to the problem. And so she wasn't being measured about what does the kid need to learn and when there was this expectation that that this kid's going to need to be able to do all of this. So she needs to be able to do it all now. Well, and I think that that's I think people get stuck in that a lot. And and I Mm -hmm. always use the analogy of the stair steps. Right. So it's a sort of Again, I'm going to remind everybody that our kids are often three to five years behind their peers. And as they get older, it actually ends up being more because it's technically it's 30 percent. So if you've got a 25 year old, it may be something more like 19. Right. But instead of standing up on the 25 year old step and going, you should be up here and trying to drag them up to that, drag them up to that to being like every other 25 year old or every other 15 year old or every other eight year old. What we want to do is we want to go down and figure out what step they're on, Mm -hmm. right? And 
meet the figure out, okay, so what is, what is, if let's say they're, they're 10 and they're on step five with regard to cleaning their room or, you know, hanging up their towel or whatever it is you're challenged with, you say, well, so what's the next step? Not how do I get them to do it completely independently without me bugging them ever? It might be, how do I get them to help me do it? Which might be the next step up, or how do I get them to do it with a reminder or with a few reminders. And, and I was thinking, you said earlier, it's like you're asking somebody a million times. If you're asking somebody a million times and you're using that tool over and over and over again, and it's not working, chances are that's an indication <laughs> that the accommodation you're applying is not an effective accommodation. They're having a hard or time. There's not an accommodation. Or right? well, Yeah. Yeah. Right. So, okay. So what you talked about was the strategy of meet them where they are. Right. We talked a little bit about the three to five year lag and developmental delay. And I think what came to me as you were talking a minute ago was as parents, we're always looking at how do we get accommodations at school? And mm-hmm. so as your coaches, what we want to ask you to consider is how do you create accommodations at home? We want to advocate for you seeing the value of creating accommodations in your home environment for your kid. So or even they the, can or, feel scaffolded and supported and still encouraged to grow in a way that's really workable for them. Well, or even just sit with this, with this question, what would it mean if I created a 504 plan for my kid at home? I mean, what would that well, look like? How would I approach it? Right. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah. That's kind of the next step. But before you get to that, I want to challenge you to consider the possibility that that's needed in the first place. Right. I really, because, because mindset changes outcomes, mindset changes perspective. So if we take on the mindset that I need to figure out what's the most helpful, effective, empowering way to create accommodations for my kid at home, then I can then do that exercise, your, your visioning exercise, Diane, of what could that look like? What might that include? And maybe enroll your kid in that conversation. Yeah. Well, and I think that that's the piece of it is that if you're accommodating in one area, that gives you space to remediate in others. We always talk Mm -hmm. about taking aim and about, you know, so there may be things that you accommodate because you want to really focus on, okay, my kid is ready to learn this skill. I'm going to focus on helping them learn this skill. So for the next month or two months, I'm just going to focus on this one little thing and we're going to work on building the skill and getting them more independent and more independent and more independent till they get to a a new level of independence. At the same time, you might be accommodating other areas so that you can build that skill and have the space to do that because life can be really overwhelming for you and for him. And, And most of you are not just dealing with one particular challenge area. You're dealing with 20, 70, Multiple. I don't know how many, a yes. lot. Many, many. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So anything else we want to say about this? This may lead into a whole other conversation about what's the difference between supporting and enabling. And I think we can have another conversation about that. And for the purposes of this conversation, what I hear us saying is that it's really important to think in terms of constructive supports, scaffolds. Yes. Right. How do we support in a way that continues to empower them to take ownership, to cultivate new skills and to feel themselves taking more owner autonomy, more independence, to feel good about themselves and to build their self-esteem in the process? 
Well, and this just came in as kind of a bonus because a lot of us get exhausted with the reminders and the, you know, trying to get our kids to do something, right? It's, it's, it's exhausting. And if we had permission to say, you know what, it's okay if I hang up this towel, it's mm-hmm. okay if I say, hey, let me clean up the kitchen with you. It's okay if I say, let's sit down at the kitchen table together and I'm going to read a book while you work on your homework. I mean, it's a sort of, if you're not sitting there trying to struggle and, and fight them to be in a place where they're not, mm-hmm. it might give you a little bit more energy to focus on, gee, focus on you and focus radical. on your kid. That's radical. Well, and to help them feel really good about themselves. Mm-hmm. And I keep thinking about, because I have a, a, a young adult living in my house right now um, who is working and applying to, to medical school and has been going through a really grueling process. One of the places we've accommodated a lot has been around food. Like mm-hmm. one of the one of the ways that we can support her who's doing all of this complex stuff is to take that one thing off of her plate a lot of the time. We're not feeding her every single meal, but if she wants dinner, dinner is available to her. And that's a, that's a great, it's not that she's not capable of creating her own dinner, but it takes one more thing off of her plate that allows her to really focus on what's really most important for her right now. And it's kind of a powerful gift to be able to give, right? So I think that feels like a wrap. Yeah, it does. Do we want a bottom line? Focus on accommodations at home. Know that it's part of your role to create an accommodated environment, not just at school, but at home, consider working with the folks at school to figure out what accommodations might be around homework and take care of yourself. Other accommodations might be appropriate at home and and understand that remediation, teaching them the skills is different from creating an accommodated environment. We want to help them focus on one or two things at a time to build those skills and not expect them to, to can be working towards mastery and everything at all times, because that becomes too exhausting. Yeah. The combination between remediation, which is skill building and accommodation, which is supporting when the skills are still lagging is really what these kids need at at all times. Yeah. And you started to say, and I want to go back, I don't want to lose it and make sure that you're taking care of yourself in the process. Right. Yeah. The goal of this is to create an environment that, that supports them, but by doing so also supports you and your capacity to support them. And if you can let go of some of, of the extreme expectations and start setting more targeted expectations, that will release, release the stress for everybody. So thanks for listening. Have a great week, on the next everybody. Episode. We'll talk to you next time. You've been listening to the Parenting with Impact podcast with Elaine and Diane. For more information on the Impact Parents community or to join Sanity School for Parents, please visit impactparents.com. If you like what you've heard, please share this podcast with friends who need similar guidance and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. For the essentials of Elaine and Diane's coach approach to parenting, download a free tip sheet at impactparents.com slash podcast. Behavior therapy training for parents is actually recommended as a first-line treatment for complex kids. For information about Sanity School, our training program for parents or teachers, which has helped thousands of families around the globe, visit impactparents.com slash sanity school.
This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.